This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Welcome to a brand new episode of Higher Ed Heroes. My name is Seb. And my name's Al. Our podcast is about transformative moments in the classroom. We believe that these moments, when we bring our classrooms to life, can often be achieved by making small changes that are easy to adopt. And that's our focus. Small things communicated in simple ways by teachers who know that these practices make a difference to their students. And our hope is that you might be able to reflect and even feel inspired to think about whether these might work in your own classroom. And because we know our listeners are busy and time poor, we always want to communicate these small lessons in a jargon-free way. This is why we have the now famous teaching jargon buzzer. No! Which we hit when we hear those buzzwords that might be more at home in a teaching committee or faculty meeting. So, who's today's guest, Seb? Well, I'm glad you ask. I'm excited about our guest today. Our guest today is Joanne Langham. Joe works at UQ Ventures, and amongst the many skills and tasks that you find on her CV and in her daily lives, she helps people to visually design their ideas so that they can effectively pitch them to their audiences. And those audiences can be students, business, or the public sector. And you and I, L, for a very long time, have been dying to run an episode on the do's and don'ts of presentation design be it through PowerPoints or similar visual presentation software. And with Joe's background and in design and in design thinking, we thought you are the right person to speak to. So it's exciting that you can join us here today. Joe, welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. As academics, we are not taught or trained in how to communicate visually, and we often, quite frankly, don't pay attention to the design of our presentation slides. And the results are only too well known. Death by PowerPoint. So let's start with the things people do poorly. Yes, and there is quite a list of those too, I must say. The first one is, of course, too much text. I don't know how many times I've sat into a in a lecture and I've had to sit and read as someone is talking at me. So too much text is always bad. Don't do that. Text that doesn't align with what you're saying. So that's another one. If you're talking away, people are trying to read and at the same time listen to you. They can only process one of those things. So that is very distracting if you're trying to do that. Too many concepts at one time. So when you're presenting slides, you may have many items rather on that slide. People are trying to work out which one they should be looking at first. Text without context. So that's one where you just have two or three words on a slide and then there is no context to it, so no picture. So if you're coming back to actually look at that information, people can't interpret what, what was there. Multiple fonts, colours and images all mixed together. One of the things I think is really funny about that is we get this freedom to have all of these things to use and we think, oh, wow, I can put all of this stuff together. But actually putting it all together, it's like a, a multicolour vomit, really. Um, <laughs> sorry. But that's, that's really what it looks like to me. But then there's some other really simple things like no alignment of text and graphics or things at all different levels um, on a screen. Um, so it's creating visual noise that isn't necessary. And they are the sorts of things that just make it really hard for people to digest whatever is on the screen. And you, you lose people right away, don't you? I know myself, first slide that goes up from someone and it's got 
a thousand words on it <laughs> and there's there's you know fonts in different sizes I immediately go well this person hasn't bothered and I switch off. You can lose someone on the first slide and you never get them back. That's right. And particularly if they use lots of different fonts that have things like some might be bold and some might be small and some might be a, a fancy font or a script. People are having to move between different ways of, of assessing and understanding that text, processing that text. Mm. So just don't do it. Try to keep everything very simple until you learn the rules and you can then mm. know how to break them. There's so many points you already referred to that are done poorly. Why are they bad or why are they actually poor? The easiest thing to think about in terms of the brain is that the brain is a pattern recognition system. So all of the things that we do visually trigger some of the ways that our brain processes information, either to do it incorrectly or to just not be able to understand it at all. So think of it as that pattern recognition system. If you put a bunch of elements on a page, like different sizes and colours, the brain's trying to organise all of this information into some sort of pattern, but it can't. Our vision is actually optimised to see structure and to perceive objects as whole items rather than as individual items. So it tries to combine all of these things and put them together into one object. This is one of the principles actually that we talk about, which is the Gestalt principle. Gestalt is a German word. Just looking to see if you're going to buzz me. Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm good with that. It's That's a, not a buzzword for me. Should the, the one German on this program buzz <laughs> a German word? <laughs> um, maybe you can tell me then the actual meaning, but my understanding is that it means shape or figure. That's the principles that we use around visual design is actually based around the Gestalt principle, which is that our brains actually perceive things or try to perceive things as a whole. Keep that in mind when you're actually putting anything together, then that's what you're trying to work with. Do you then recommend patterns in terms of presentation? I fall into a pattern of, you know, three-point picture, three-point picture, and then I throw up just one image every so often. But then sometimes I find myself all over the place. Is it good to get into a steady rhythm so students or you know, anybody can reassure themselves of what's coming and feel comfortable with it? Is that Reading and writing is not a natural thing for humans, so for our brains. We do learn language. Our, our brains are optimised for language. So from an infant, we learn how to speak. We understand language. But when it comes to reading or writing, it's a skill that is learnt. If we're not taught that and practice it and become skilled at it, we actually, you know, will fail at being able to understand lots of written content. So when you go to a lecture or you go and start reading slides that are all over the place, you want a pattern because it aids people to actually use the conventions that they already have built in, that they have learnt and practised to be able to be good readers. So it's actually better for you to use patterns of course, if you want to disrupt it a little bit to make sure that they're still paying attention at some point, <laughs> you may actually want to flip things around. But having a pattern, keeping things in an ordered way is actually a, a fairly good rule to, to rely on. I'm accidentally getting it right a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so already we have understood, Joe, that good design is something that is needed in order for our brains to actually process what is on those slides and not get too distracted. So by what when we talked earlier, you called like uh, designing with the mind in mind. What other practical tips moving into that 
part of our conversation would you have for people like the kinds of really do's in terms of design? There are some just very simple things that I learned as a designer over the years that I think they're fail-safe types of tips. So the first one is use the same words that you're speaking on the page. <laughs> like That's just a straightforward one. Seems um, so simple, but it's blowing my mind. <laughs> don't use more than three fonts on a page. So when I talk about fonts, I mean the standard font, bold, italics, They are three different versions, but also the same different sizes will actually be three different fonts. So try to just stick to one font, one actual typeface, Arial, Helvetica, Times, whichever one you want to use, and then just do bold or italics and maybe a color, like those sorts of things. Just keep it very simple. Can I ask, like, this is because it makes provides ease for for our eyes and our mind to read it while paying attention to the person who's speaking. Absolutely. You want the brain to be recognizing the information and not trying to relearn different patterns. Actually using the same font over and over again is, is a, a really good way of doing that. It's a definitely theme of maybe innovate less, control your creativity and establish a bit of sympathy for the viewer. I guess. Mm. Well, you're trying to communicate that message as simply as possible. And that's why we use images as well. So images are a really good thing to include, but only do them one at a time and try to make them clear, have good contrast. Our brain is actually wired to pick up things like faces as well. So if you put pictures with people's faces in it, people respond better wow, to those. Okay. Just simple things like that using using pictures. If you use images that are hand drawn, so sketch like images, try to keep the styles the same as well. Because that's the other thing. Every time you add an element like a colour, a different style of drawing, you're adding noise. Noise that the brain has to then sift through to understand your message. That's interesting. In my exam revision lecture for first years, I do a stick, my whole lecture on stick men. For each topic in political science, there's a stick man drawing out there. Love that. And the students love it because it's consistent, even though I feel I'm really working to get some of these concepts. I'm getting validation for my own nonsense. That sort of thing, like the simplicity of that, is actually, I think, instrumental in people's ability to understand. Mm. Um, so, no, I've, I think that's great that you do do that sort of thing. There's things like also when you're using images and graphics on a page, you try to align them horizontally or vertically. They should be in the same sort of alignment, also the same sizes. So if you've got multiple pictures, try to make them the same size. It's all, again, just enabling the brain to very quickly process that pattern that you've you've put up on the screen or on paper. One of the ones that I know is, is a big one is what color is the background? What color is the font? Our brains, again, we're optimized to, to see contrast rather than brightness. We don't see color as well as what um, we see the contrast. If you put two colors together that are very similar in tone, but maybe opposite on the color wheel, you actually get this funny 
strobing effect. I don't know if you've ever experienced that with, say, a, a bright blue or a bright red and or a bright red and green. It's called chromatic aberration. I'm sure that's worthy of a... I think of a, we should, <laughs> it? Even though it's not, it's not falling in the category. Yeah, but but, um, maybe we should have one. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. It was a good one. Best thing for you to do is actually choose colours that have the most contrast when you're working with it. So black text on, on white background is really good. White text on a black background, again, really good. Like if you use a grey text, dark grey on a white background, and then you want to highlight something, you might use colour the, the, the bit of text that you want. Don't have to make it bold. Don't have to do anything else. Just use that, that colour. And right. that will work really well. What other do's do you have? Just try to think of the layout of a page as an imaginary grid. And when you try to put things together, that you're actually aligning the text and the, the images and everything to that grid. And I think that's probably the simplest thing. If, um, if you can work with that grid, you're going to be quite successful in getting everything to align and just make it easy for the brain to see. They're probably the most important things. Oh, there is one more about graphs. I'm assuming with teachers, there's probably a few graphs that come into your pictures. So if you're using colours on a graph to distinguish different bars or different lines. Try to make sure that when you put a key on the page, that those boxes of colour that you're using to demonstrate those different things are quite large and that they're close together. Because the brain actually has trouble distinguishing those colours if they're separated or if the colours are too close together in the way their tone, particularly if they're pale, the brain really struggles. So you'll see people squinting at graphs trying to work out which line is it or is this the same colour as that. Just try to be really careful with your use of colour. Do you have a view on that little box which now appears on PowerPoint, the designer box, which has changed my life in some ways because <laughs> now I feel like a graphic designer and sometimes I feel like I'm hitting that button a little bit too much and maybe it's uh, I'm going a bit too creative. No, I actually think it is a very good thing because what it's doing is it's using patterns or styles and constraining your creativity mm. but actually suggesting a pattern that you're working with. I so see, right? I actually think it's it's quite clever. It does enable you to be creative but within a set of rules that you don't need to know. This whole session's validation for me. I'm going to strut out of here feeling great about my <laughs> slides. <laughs> you know, one of the things I uh, have been taking on board and it took me a while to realise this is making the text appear one after another and then the previous text on the same slide either become de-emphasized or completely disappear and it eases the eye. You know the, the usual phenomenon if you put a slide up and it has like five bullet points and they all appear at the same time everyone will read it first and then they tune back in with you so just going one by one. That's about our brain's ability to filter and about our perception and attention. So being able to direct that attention as you move through the text actually, again, is helping the brain recognise what to focus on and what is important. Is there an example of an absolutely, I mean, you've mentioned individual things. I remember my first ever lecture, it was on an overhead projector in the old days, and it was a hundred, I had 120 acetates to get through in two <laughs> hours. And I remember looking up, because I didn't look up, and at the end of it, they were more exhausted than I was. 
Is there any examples of just truly awful <laughs> presentations that stick in your mind? Oh, I've I've been through a few of those over the years, particularly at um, conferences. I think some of the worst design I've actually seen is on websites where people have tried to be way too creative and they've completely lost their audience because people can't actually choose the thing to do or find the the navigation element, the the button to click on or the, the word that they are looking for to be able to find that information. Websites are just a more sophisticated information or communication process. So a PowerPoint, you're directing people through slides, but a website, they have to navigate, people have to navigate themselves. And some of that is just atrocious. Again, because people have been given the freedom to use whatever colours, whatever patterns, and then they do things like have a flashing graphic um, and then they'll have red text on a black background and then even worse, they might have a patterned background. I hate patterned backgrounds. They're like a personal... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's just what I like to hear. Yes, the, the early websites, so I used to work um, teaching programmers or developers way back in those days to where people got really excited about flashing text and the mixture of using everything on one page was was the problem. These days, you can barely go anywhere without anyone using a PowerPoint presentation or some form of a presentation and slides. And it can be so refreshing going to a talk, to a conference or listening to someone who doesn't use one and you realize how nice it is to just focus on the speaker. And so my biggest bugbear with slides is that they tend to place the audience's focus away from the speaker, just onto the slides. And that seems to be the biggest issue with, with PowerPoints. So from in that kind of broader sense of what I've just been saying, like what is the best way for us to think about to use it effectively as an aid, but keeping the audience's attention on us as speakers? I really like to see the people, the people who are speaking and the emotions, um, as you would know from some of the other work that I've done with you. I think the best thing to do is to use visual metaphors. So the brain actually really likes things that help us connect our content to some sort of pattern that we've already got in our in our brain. Metaphors are actually a useful thing for you to do. So for example, you might be trying to explain to someone about putting barriers on their activities to aid in making sure that you're nudging them in the right way. You might decide to use the metaphor of a bowling alley and how we put bumpers to aid children when they're first learning how to bowl. And using that as a visual metaphor, you could just put that and then explain and have your story with it. So visual metaphors are actually a really good tool. I like a lecture of images just with metaphors on them. Sometimes the students get to the end of it if they don't attend and say, where's all the information on the slides? <laughs> I said, well, you can listen and see the metaphors there. I think it's a really great way to do it. It energises you. We actually remember those things better. The triggers that we have from those images, we, we associate feelings with what we're doing, and so I think we actually remember them better. Sure. It's been absolutely amazing and for me really where I was hoping we would end up. You know, the don'ts, the do's, the wider perspective of why they're important because it's about allowing our mind to follow with ease. It's been wonderful to have you on here. Thanks so much for coming in. If you heard anything that 
you liked and would like to engage further with us, then please get in touch with us through our social media channels. Thanks for joining us on High Red Heroes. And as always, we look forward to your company again. Thank you.